This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. EWA 517, do you want to report a UFO? Negative. We don't want to report. Aries 31, do you wish to report a UFO? Over. Negative, we want to report one of those either. Uh, Aries 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind? Over. I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, sir. Uh, Aries 31, uh, me neither. Number 71, pop the golf, go ahead. Captain, was anybody above us to pass us like 30 seconds ago? Number 71, pop the golf, negative. Okay. Pop this. A UFO. It's murdered 295. Yeah, something just passed over. So, uh, like us. Don't know what it was, but it's from at least two, three thousand 3,000 feet above us. Yeah, I passed right over the top of us. 911. You guys busy? Did we just call them off the needle for the time? Mm-hmm. They're out there. Same yeah. airplanes. 
Welcome to UFO Chronicles, a place where people share their experiences of the strange and unexplained. If you've had an encounter and would like to be on the show, you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com. Hello and welcome to the show, everyone, wherever in the world you are listening from tonight. And a happy Thanksgiving to all our American friends. I hope you all had a great time catching up with your families. We have Jesse from New Mexico on the moment, sharing his paranormal experiences that began around 1984 in Connecticut. Jesse up next. If you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to help support my work, there is a couple of ways to do this. Either you can join Patreon and become a patron of the show for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate via PayPal. And if you like, you can set up monthly reoccurring payments. All links to support the podcast are below in the show notes and on the website. Any help is extremely appreciated, and it helps the show to continue running. Now, on with the show. Jesse and welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Great to have you on today, man. And you're calling from New Mexico. That is true. Yep, New Mexico. That's great, Jesse. Now you have some paranormal experiences to share with us. Would you like to start the beginning, please, Jesse? I sure would. So so my story starts in the early 1980s. Um, I was born in 80 and my first experience was in 84, right around 83, 84. And uh, luckily, I've been gifted with a steel trap. So I've got a lot of memories that I hold on to. This was actually one of my earliest memories I can recall. Let me start from where I grew up. So I grew up in Connecticut and in a small town called uh, Derby. And Derby at that time had about 10,000 people, but it was a very small community, about five and a half square miles. It was the smallest town in Connecticut. And there's not a lot for like woods and stuff like that. There's a lot of houses, a lot of buildings, um, a lot of old structures. We we grew up in this apartment um, in Derby that was quite old. I'm not sure how old it was, but anyways. So I was about three years old, four years old, and I was laying in bed and I had this big Sesame Street book right in front of my face and my bed faced the doorway. I was pretending to read. I was more or less looking at the pictures, but... I put the book down, and in my doorway, I saw an apparition of this woman, and it was a full-blown apparition. I'm 41 years old right now, and I could still remember it clear as day. And uh, she was transparent, but I could make out her details. And she just stood there, and it scared the crap out of me. I bolted out of that room. I ran downstairs, and I was crying to my mom. And I was, I was telling her that there was a woman upstairs, there was a ghost upstairs. She believed me. She had never seen anything herself, but she believed me. You know, she told me to go back to bed and 
you know, do what do what mothers do. So I went back to bed. Nothing more with the apparition. But over the next many, many years, we've had many more experiences. So that happened in my bedroom. And just to give you an idea on what the layout was, it was an apartment that has four, uh, there's four families that could live in the apartment. And they were all single story. But luckily, ours had access to the upstairs. So the entire upstairs was, it was essentially an attic, but they rebuilt the attic into different bedrooms. So it was already creepy. So so that, that's the layout. That's what it looked like. About a year or two later, now I have a sister. I didn't mention this. Um, I do have a sister that's younger than me. She's f- uh, 15 months younger. And my mom, myself, we never told my sister about what happened because, you know, we didn't want her to get scared. But apparently in those couple of years, we had switched bedrooms. So she took my room and I took hers. And my sister actually saw this apparition as well. She, same thing, she went crying downstairs. She was telling my mom that she saw this woman downstairs. And now my mom's like, okay, there's something going on. We had only lived in this apartment for a couple of years so there really wasn't much opportunity for my mom to see anything during that time. But now she's got two kids saying that she saw these, or that the kids, you know, that we saw these apparitions. Another year later, uh, my sister and I and my mom, we uh, we go take a vacation to North Carolina, South Carolina, one of the Carolinas. And my mom's boyfriend at the time, uh, he was staying at home because he was, um, you know, continue work and stuff like that. Now, he was not a believer of this at all. We told him about what happened. According to him, we didn't see anything. It was all, we're kids. It was in our imagination. While he's home alone, stuff starts to happen to him. Uh, he had seen um, the lights flicker. That was a big one. The upstairs lights would flicker. And um, he had heard footsteps. And the footsteps, it was more than, because the house did creak and stuff. But these were ascending footsteps that went towards his room. So at that point, he was like, okay, all right, there might be something going on here. While we were at the house, we had some some other things happen too. Um, when I was about 10 years old or so, um, I wasn't at home. And my mom, she was in the living room. And the living room, the, there was a doorway between the living room and the, the kitchen. And if you look into the kitchen, it would you would be able to see if somebody was walking from the upstairs because the upstairs, if you were walking from the upstairs into the kitchen, you would cross the line of sight of the living room. So she was, she was sitting in her, in her chair in her living room and she was looking into the kitchen and she saw a figure cross the doorway from the upstairs past the doorway to the fridge. And she got up to see who was there. And of course there was nobody there. So that was, her first experience of of seeing something. So now she's like, okay, you guys have seen something. I've seen something. Her boyfriend had heard steps and had these lights happen. About a year or two after that, that would have put me at 11 or 12, my sister and I. So by, by this point, we had switched rooms again. So, of course, I've got the, the scary room. And in between my bedroom and my sister's bedroom, there was another room. We called it a crawl space. I don't know if it was really a crawl space or not, but it was like this other room that was basically in between our two rooms. And that was kind of like our clubhouse. We we went in there. Uh, there was a light in there, 
uh, but it was a small, small room. Just to give you an example on how small the room was, the, the top of the apartment, it had two pitched roofs that formed like a like an M. So that room was in the middle of the of the M. So you had like an angle on one side, you had an angle on the other side of the room. It was just a really creepy room. But anyways, this was our clubhouse. So we were we were in that room one day and we were quote unquote burying a treasure into the floorboards. And this is this is really strange. We we lifted up the floorboard and there was a black and white picture in the floorboard. And we pulled the picture out and it was this woman. It was like old um, I mean, the woman was young, but she was like, it was like period type clothing, very uh, colonial type clothing. And underneath it was the name Ida Urance. And I, I'm not going to say it was the same woman I saw, but it looked close enough to where we basically called the spirit Ida. Like we named her Ida from that point on. So yeah, so we named her. A couple years after that would put me about 13, 14 years old. I was in my room and I was playing guitar and this is the same room. It's the, the creepy room. And I was playing guitar in my bed and I was facing my doorway and outside of my doorway, there's another room. It was just like an empty room, but there was a hallway that went in between my room and my sister's room. And that hallway had a light in the middle of it. So if anybody was walking towards my room, you'd be able to see their shadow because the light was behind them. So the shadow would be cast on the floor. So I was playing guitar and I look at my doorway at the, at the floor and I saw a head of a, of the shadow. Then I saw the shoulders, you know, so it looked like somebody was walking toward my room. So like any big brother would do knowing that we have ghosts in the house. I, we always like to play jokes. And anyways, I ran to the door and I jumped out to scare her, but there was nobody there. That was really strange. I went into my sister's room to see, you know, to see if maybe she had run back to her room, but her room was, it was a mess. And I mean, like papers everywhere and toys and she was doing homework. And if she, with the speed that I had gotten up to check the shadow, she would have had to run into her room and that never happened. I never heard her anyways. So another, another year goes by. It's pretty quiet. You know, we hear noises every now and then. There were two significant things. This put me around the age of 15, 16 or so. Uh, one incident was uh, my sister was in her room and I'm over at my friend's house I was spending the night. In my room, I have a, I had a CD player and it was, um, I had a CD in there. It was a, a Megadeth CD, Euthanasia. My sister was in her room and she heard the music playing. So she got up and she turned it off. She didn't turn off the player. She hit stop. And she goes back in her room and then she hears the music playing again. And then she got up and turned it off again and then went back into her room. And then it happened a third time. At that point, she uh, unplugged it and that was it. So we had this incident in the 80s. We had a string of it was like I said, it was a small town, but it was densely populated for how small the town was. And there were a lot of problems with drugs, alcohol. There were even shootings up the street, gangs and stuff like that. Something I didn't mention was when I was third grade, fourth grade, um, there was an attempted uh, abduction against me uh, right in front of my mom. We've always been really paranoid about that ever since, you know, PTSD type stuff. And 
So now with that in mind, I was about 15 or 16 and I'm still like, you know, really freaked out about strangers and about like weird cars and stuff like that. And there was uh, there was this red truck that would circle our block. And every time he went in front of our house, he would slow down and he would stare up at our windows. And we didn't know who the who the heck this guy was. So that made us look outside a lot. And there were two things that happened that were really strange. And Nick, I wish I don't know if I have the picture anymore, but um, if I do, I'll email it to you. I'll show you what the picture looks like. It's really crazy. My mom was like, you know what? I'm going to take a picture of this guy when he goes past the window again, just to kind of freak him out. And it was an old uh, Polaroid picture. So the truck uh, went by the house and she took this picture. But when the picture came back, it wasn't the, the window was shut. But the picture wasn't like it wasn't like a bright flash in the window. It wasn't like a reflection or nothing. It was it was very cloudy looking. And in the picture, you can see a picture or in the photograph, you can see what looks like a man's face in the bottom left hand side of the photograph, which it looks like a full face. And if it were my mom taking the picture it, it would have been obstructed by the camera. Um, it's, it's really crazy. I'll have to show it to you sometime if I still have it. But around that same time that that happened, I was looking out my window and in my bedroom. It was dark out, so I was seeing reflections from behind me. That doorway that I saw, that apparition of that woman, I saw a little boy run past the doorway. And of course, I, I turn around and there's nobody there. So... Maybe about six months later or so, you know, we've had a collection of these strange occurrences that happen. My sister had a friend over. We're talking to the girl. We find out the the girl's mom lived at our house, like in the 60s or 70s or whenever she was a kid. So now we're like, oh, okay, well, let's go talk to this girl's mom and find out if she had seen anything, you know, just to get some information. We talked to the girl's mom and we're like, you know, we're kids, but we're like, you know... Just out of curiosity, we see this woman and these things happen. And she's like, oh, I know. Yeah. She told us that when she was a kid, she had seen apparitions. She had heard the footsteps. Like all of the same things that we were seeing, she was seeing too. So that was great confirmation for us. Anyways, that at least we weren't a little bit crazy. Now, that was, there were some other things that happened at that house. Um, you know like knocks and stuff like that. Like I've seen shadows in the house. Uh, there was one time I was laying in bed and I was looking into that room that was across from me that I told you about that extra room. And I was just staring into the room. I wasn't looking at anything in particular. It was more or less like I was staring into the room. I was letting the room image kind of engulf me. If that makes sense. Like when you stare at something for a long time and it just, Anyways, um, I was doing that, and then I started seeing these shadows in that room, too. I don't know. I, I don't know if that was an illusion or what, but... So, 1998 comes, and I joined the Navy at that point. I move out of the house. From there, I moved all over the, all over the country. Didn't really have any occurrences until 2011. My mom passed away, and it was unexpected... And by this point, she had moved into a different house. 
in East Hartland, Connecticut, which is uh, really close to Hartford. So, so she passes away. And this is where I start wondering if there's more to myself than I realized. So she passes away. And of course, it tears me up. And I grew up without a dad. So she was really all I had. I had a stepdad. Um, and he was like my father figure. But, you know, my mom was, you know, my mom. And so my wife and I, we, we fly to Connecticut for the, for the funeral. Let me backtrack. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. On March 31st, 2011, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. My sister calls me. And this is when I find out that my mom passes away. And it was, for my, for my sister to call me that early in the morning, I was living in Washington State at the time. It, it really was, like, I knew something was wrong. So I hang up the phone, and I, I can't say anything. My wife's like, what's going on? What's going on? I am bawling. And my eyes are shut, and I can still see it. Like, there's... It's almost like I'm seeing stars. It's like Star Wars. And I'm seeing these stars and they're just flying, flying towards me. And I'm, I'm bawling and crying and I t my mom's dead. And and I hear my mom's voice say, Jesse, it's okay. I'm okay now. And that's important because she grew up abused. She grew up in pain. When my dad, my biological father or whatever, when, when they were together, he was extremely abusive to her. And, um, like for instance, uh, he tried to push her down the stairs when she was pregnant with me and he said I wasn't his son. Like I, so anyways, she grew up with a lot of abuse growing up as a kid with my dad, with my sister's dad. So for me to hear it in her voice that she was okay at that point, there was an immense calm across my body and I stopped crying at that point. I opened up my eyes and I told my wife that my mom's okay. My mom is no longer in pain. The next day or so we fly to Connecticut and I was given the eulogy for her funeral and I was in Terryville where my sister lives and I'm sitting on the couch. This gives me goosebumps thinking about it. I'm sitting on the couch and I can see into their kitchen. It's a doorway into their kitchen, or like a hallway into their kitchen. But I'm typing up the eulogy and I look into the kitchen and directly in front of my niece's high chair, I see a ball of light. And the ball of light was probably two feet, three feet in diameter. And this was maybe around 11 o'clock at night. The, the blinds were closed. Um, it wasn't a flashlight. I couldn't see past this ball of light. It was, it was a ball of light that was lit, but it wasn't emitting light, if that makes sense. Like, it wasn't lighting up the room. It's just a lit ball. That gave me so much closure, if you will. It was there, and that she was watching over us. During the funeral, this was really strange, and I don't know... I've never heard of this before, Nick, and I don't know if um, – I've heard a bunch of your uh, stories, and I've never heard anybody talk about this before. But during the funeral, I was saying goodbye to my mom, 
And I was looking at her and I was telling her how much I loved her. And I was telling her that, you know, she can watch over us all she wants. And, you know, we'll, we'll take care of our kids for her. And, you know, I, you know, we're saying bye to her. And I could have sworn I saw her smile. And my wife asked me, she goes, it looks like your mom just smiled. And I swear to God, like it was the freakiest thing. She said that to me after I had already seen it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. But that was that was really, really crazy. In the next week or so, we were, you know, we were still in Connecticut and we were at my mom's house. She she passed away in her bed. It was completely unexpected. But yeah, she passed away in her bed and which is upstairs. And the house is old. I don't I'm not sure how old it would have been. Maybe maybe 1930s, 1940s, something like that. A gorgeous house. But um, every single time I would go upstairs into her room, I would start, like, either if it was in her room or staircase to go upstairs, I would get this overwhelming feeling of dread and sadness to the point where my brother-in-law, um, Billy, um, he and I would almost kind of make light of it, like make a game, because he felt it too. And it, it was kind of fun, but... It was a it was a feeling of like, you know what? There's something up here, and we're gonna go up there and just be with it, whatever it is. Um, in that week after she passed away, um, I saw I saw a shadow in the corner of the living room, which I believe might have been her. I'm not sure if it was or not. Um, I saw a shadow that was about knee high. She had a a Dalmatian that had passed away, and this Dalmatian was a family pet of ours since it was an old dog, since I was a kid, you know, so we had had it for a long time. Um, that may have been, uh, the dog's name was Venus. So that may have been Venus. Maybe not. I don't know. So this is 2000, 2012. We were living in Washington state at that point in time. Like I, I just made the decision to move back to Connecticut. Um, I felt really bad about that because my family and I, we've moved all over the country being in the military and my wife has always had some sort of say in it too, you know, like as she should, right? She shouldn't go somewhere where she doesn't want to go. But this time I was like, we're going to Connecticut. So I had the detailer cut me orders to Connecticut and I told her, I was like, we're moving back to Connecticut. She wasn't happy about that, but she understood at the same time. She, she was more not happy because, you know, because I made that decision without her. But 2012, we, we moved to Connecticut I'm living in Groton at this point. It's a Navy subbase, and I was an instructor there. While I was an instructor there, there were some other events that happened too. So I made this photograph, or it was like a, a picture, I guess, of like a dedication picture. It had my mom's picture on it. It had her from the, from the funeral and uh, this quote I said from the eulogy. And it was hanging on two nails. One day I got home and it was hanging on one nail. So I asked the kids, I was like, were you guys playing in the hallway? Were you guys throwing this ball around? No, no, no. I told them about the picture um, being off the wall, like hanging by one nail. They were like, yeah, no, it was definitely not like that when, when we went to school. And my wife was going to nursing school at the time, and she said it wasn't like that either. And what makes it even more strange is the nail that it was hanging on, it was one of those nails that have the head on it. And the back of the frame had, it was like the, the triangle hook. So for it to go off the nail, you would physically have to lift the frame up and then 
pulling off the, the wall. So I thought that was cool. While we were, again, we had heard footsteps coming down our stairs. We just thought, okay, you know, mom's here or somebody's here. The East Coast is pretty notorious for uh, spirits and stuff like that anyways. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now, my wife has always been skeptical. Like, she believes that I would feel things or she believes that I believe it. You know what I'm saying, Nick? And there were a couple of occasions that really got her thinking, okay, something's, something's going on. I say one occasion, on numerous occasions. For some reason, she would be at the Stop and Shop grocery store, and she would be walking in the bread aisle. And as she walked past a loaf, like the, the loaves of bread that were on the rack 
a loaf of bread would fly off the rack and land on the floor. And she's like, that's strange. Like the first time it was strange, right? The second time it was a coincidence, you know, and then it happened the third time and fourth time. She's like, this is really odd. Now there's another thing that happened that really, really got her into a believer. And this is the beginning of when I start to believe that I could be an empath. Like I said, when my mom passed away, it was the worst thing that could have ever happened, especially because I'll share a little story. The whole time I was in the Navy, whenever I went out to sea, whenever I came back from sea, I would always call her and say, hey, mom, uh, I was on submarines. So, you know, they're dangerous as it is. But, you know, I'd be like, mom, we pulled back in the port. I'm safe, blah, blah, blah. And the night before she passed away, we had pulled in late. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to call her because, you know, it's too late or whatever. I'll call her in the morning. And she passed away that night. So I've always had that feeling of guilt where, you know, I wish I would have called her because maybe I could have helped, helped prevent her death and stuff like that. So I've always had this guilt inside of me and I've always wanted questions answered. So I went ahead and got an Ouija board. I know a lot of people don't believe in Ouija boards, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this out. And like, I'm telling you, this is, this is crazy. So we went down the street. It was a couple couple of houses down to a friend's house and I told my wife that I was going to go there and play with the Ouija board and see what can happen right and my wife's like all right whatever go go ahead <laughs> it was my friend Rachel and I and her husband John so we're sitting in their room and we've got our hands on the planchette like shaking right now telling the story so we've got our hands on the planchette and through my fingertips through my knuckles up my up my arm, and it was my left, it was my left arm, and into my elbow, I felt these uh, shocks. It felt like like electricity shocks. When I was a kid, you know, because I lived in that house with the with the spirit, I always believed, yeah, you know, let's play with this Ouija board. You know, we mess around and move it around and spook each other or whatever. But I never took it seriously. I felt those shocks. Wow, this, all right, this is this is crazy. We have to do this with Lee. The following night. We decide to do the Ouija board and, you know, the mood set, we've got the lights, the lights are off, we've got candles lit, uh, windows are shut and we're sitting on the bed and for about five or 10 minutes, we're, we're doing the Ouija board thing and nothing's happening, but I'm starting to feel like tingles in my fingertips and it was happening uh, mostly on my left side, but it was happening on my right side too. And I was telling them about it. And then I kid you not, the, the planchette's moving. It's easiest to see how it was moving. It was physically impossible for it to move the way that we were holding the planchette. So, you know, each person has their fingers on the planchette and they're they're touching it lightly. If your brain is going to tell you to move it, it whatever, you're going to move it, right? This thing, Nick, was, it was spinning underneath our fingertips. So the arrow, like, let's say there's three people around the, bo around the board and everyone's got their hands on the planchette. If the arrow is pointing towards the top of the board, the planchette was moving around the board and that arrow that the, the tip of the planchette was rotating around as it was moving around the board. It would be physically impossible for anybody to pretend that. You know what I'm saying? Like, if they wanted to pretend that, they would be moving their arms around too. Everybody's arms were right in front of them, and this planchette is spinning. It was the wildest thing. It was amazing. So we started this probably around 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night probably. We didn't stop until the sun was coming up. This was an all-night endeavor. About halfway through the session, we decided, hey, let's start writing this stuff down so we don't forget it. But supposedly, this this guy comes through. Uh, I don't remember the guy's name at the top. It was like Roger or something like that. Um, but this guy comes through, 
And we're like, you know, what do you want? And it was spelling out the word her. And we're like, who? Lee? Lee's my wife's name. And then it would go to yes. But I'm telling you at the same time, like this planchette is rotating underneath the fingertips. All right. So now my wife's like, all right, this is not physically possible. In the in the course of this Ouija board episode, we're asking like, what do you want from her? Um, so at this time, my wife was going to this, uh, school as a nurse. And throughout the course of this thing, the, the guy was spelling out that his son was dying of cancer, that he needed my wife to help. We looked up, um, we said, where, where, where does your son live? And it spelled out the word Clinton. We didn't know that Clinton was a town in Connecticut. So we looked it up and sure enough, it was. There were some other things too. I don't remember exactly. So we're doing this for about, it was about four hours. And I would ask a question. Either the planchette would move around the board in a circle very fast, or it would go boom, straight to no, boom, straight to no. I would say like, do you want me to ask questions? Boom, straight to no. And then who do you want to ask questions? And then it would spell out my wife's name. Somewhere in that conversation, this is where it gets really, it was very scary. Somewhere in this conversation, it said, she's mine. So we're like, okay. So while this is going on, the candles that we had lit, uh, the candles were flickering, like they were um, bending to the side. Maybe the AC was kicking on, I don't know. The windows were shut, but we thought that was strange. Uh, About halfway through, Supposedly, my mom starts to come through. Um, I'm going to share some things that I don't, I don't ever talk about, but I'm going to because this is a conversation that we're having right now. And if anybody else can get any value out of this, then that's all I want. Supposedly, and I say supposedly because anybody can be anybody in a Ouija board. Supposedly, my mom comes through. One of the first questions I asked was, how did you die? Because we didn't quite know. When we found my mom, we didn't find my mom dead. When my mom's boyfriend found her dead, she was sitting up in bed, folded over. And in the autopsy report, it said that there was a drug overdose. Now, like I had said before, she was in a lot of pain. And she she was beat severely through her life. And she just had a lot of, there were, she was on all sorts of medications she was seeing all sorts of different doctors. But yeah, basically. So when when uh, when we're doing the Ouija board, we say, how did you die? And it spelled out the word overdose. It was me, my wife, and my wife's friend, Rachel, in the room. My wife and I knew what the autopsy report said, but Rachel didn't know. We didn't, we didn't share that with her. And my wife would never, like, you just don't, you don't mess with somebody like that. You, you know what I'm saying? It's not, you're not going to do that to somebody, if you have a heart, anyways. So Rachel's like, wow, like overdose, you know, what's going on? So we explain how she was seeing a bunch of different doctors. Maybe they weren't talking with each other. Maybe she was overprescribed. I don't know. But we asked that question with the Ouija board. We say, how do you do overdose? And it spelled out the name Rich. Rich was my mom's boyfriend. Again, Rachel didn't know his name. And my wife wouldn't do that to me. So we were like, okay, this is this is confirmation, at least in our minds, that this is real. And let me remind you that the planchette is rotating in circles while it's going to these letters. So my, now my wife's like, okay, all right. The gears are turning in her head. She's starting to be like, all right, all right, I'm starting to believe. Let me ask some questions now to her. So 
my wife says, have I seen you since you passed? And it goes to yes. And we're all like, this is new, right? Because my wife has never mentioned anything paranormal. So she says, when did, when did I see you? And it spells out the word mirror. And my wife was like, oh, crap. She used other language, of course. What? What's up? So she tells us the story that she never shared. Because, like I said, she always comes to rational decisions. So she said that when we were in our house in Connecticut, you know, the, the house that we were currently in at that time, she was in our bathroom in the master bedroom. And the mirror in the master bedroom was right in front of the doorway. So she was doing something in the morning. She was getting ready for work or, or she, no, she was going to school at that time. But she saw something in the mirror and she turned around and it was gone. So she thought it was one of the kids. She, she said that that's got to be the time that she's talking about. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't know anything about this at all. Rachel didn't know anything about this. The Ouija board session lasted for a little bit longer. And then it said my mom went away from it. And then that guy came back before my mom went away. It was actually interesting because she, she started spilling out the words. I'm tired. I'm tired. I got to go. So maybe it was using up a lot of energy to talk to us. I don't know. But anyways, so she goes and then that guy from the beginning comes back and he says, um, I'll see you. I'll see you again, like three days or seven days or something like that. And we're like, okay, so maybe he wants us to come back and talk to him. Now, this is where, do you remember how I was talking about maybe feeling like an empath? This is one of the other things that happened that made me believe that it could be possibly true. It was like, it, whatever number of days he said that he wanted to talk to us, we didn't talk to him then. We talked to him like two weeks later or something like that, or we, we wanted to. So I went to my friend Rachel's house again with my wife and we had the Ouija board and we were like, okay, let's go. Let's go ahead and start this. Let's go upstairs. And I started to get in this feeling in my, in my body of dread, of sadness. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to. I don't want to. And my wife's like, come on, Jess, let's do it. Let's go ahead and do it. We're here already. We got the board. Let's do it. And I was developing a lot of anxiety Sadness was the real thing. Like I was just feeling very like dark and very deep feeling. And I was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I just don't feel comfortable. And then I was like, all right, all right, all right. If you're not going to do it again, if this is the only shot we got, because she wasn't really all that interested. She, I think she was actually scared to be honest with you, but she was like, you know, let's do it tonight. It's the last chance. All right. Okay. All right. We'll go ahead. So I go upstairs into the bedroom. We were getting ready to start this this session and the feeling that I had can only be described as like, if you were to imagine somebody pouring cold, cold water on the top of your head, but not that it like drains all the way down, but more like it'd be like if your body was filled with warm water and somebody pulled a plug at your toes and then as that water drained, it was very cold where that water was, if that makes any sense. I felt this cold, cold feeling basically go all the way down in a straight line down to my feet. At this point, I was actually crying, not like sobbing, like boo-hoo-hoo, but I was tearing up. I had tears going down my cheeks. Um, I had this incredible sense of, of dread and of utter sadness. And I, I said, I can't do this. I can't do this. And let me tell you, Nick, that 
for the experiences I had when I was a kid and for experiences I had up to this point, I, I love the topic. I love that. I love the topic of paranormal. I, it, it is so fascinating to me and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it this, this uh, certain night. So we didn't do it. And we went home a few weeks later. Um, I went with my buddy, John, uh, John, Rachel's husband. We went to a cemetery in Norwich next to a, there's a, it was like a, a hospital, Norwich is like a, like a asylum type hospital. And uh, there was a small cemetery next door. So we went there and we're like, you know, well, let's try the Ouija board thing again. And at this point I used a, uh, what's it called? A, uh, a sound box. It's, uh, like one of those machines that like has all those different noises and may pull sounds from that to talk to you if you ask questions. We were doing that. We were doing, um, the Ouija board and we had a flashlight and camera. I was taking pictures with the camera to try to catch fog or orbs or whatever. I'm not really a big fan of orbs because, you know, it can easily be dust or whatever, but I made sure when I left the house that the camera was fully charged. We got to the cemetery where we started doing the Ouija board. Out of nowhere, probably 100, 200 crows were in the tree. They just all of a sudden, like the tree started shaking and it was very loud and they all flew up to the sky. This was at 11 o'clock and they scared the crap out of us. Um, so I tried to take pictures at that point and the battery on the camera was like red and flashing and we're like, all right, we weren't, I mean, we weren't there that long. And, oh, and another thing that happened too, which was really scary too. It was all at the same time. Uh, this flashlight that we had, it was one of those, one of those big yellow box flashlights that take like those big giant, it's like one battery, but it's like five inches tall or four inches or whatever. It's really big. Anyways, I went to turn on the, the flashlight and that whole back section of the flashlight unscrewed and like the battery fell out. So we're in the dark. We can't see. We can't. It was so funny. But we're like, yeah, let's go home. <laughs> so we went we went back to the house. And of course, I checked the camera battery and it was full. It was fully charged. So in my eyes, something was there. It was just an instant. It was something that happened. Now, this is another story. A bunch of these things happened within a few years. I retired from the Navy in 2018. And I knew that we were going to be leaving Connecticut at that point. And with New England being a you know famous hotspot for paranormal activity, I had to go visit Union Cemetery. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Union Cemetery, but it's in a town. I think it's Easton or Monroe. Pretty sure it's Easton, but it's in Connecticut. It's in southern Connecticut. And Union Cemetery is it's in the same town that the Warrens um, grew up in or not grew up in. Well, maybe they did. I don't know. But that's where they lived. And they themselves declared Union Cemetery to be the most haunted cemetery in all of New England. So, of course, I have to go there before we leave. My buddy John and I, this is really cool. We go at night and, you know, there are signs posted saying that you can't be there at night at the entrance. But there's a back entrance that doesn't have a sign. So I'm like, all right, well, if I park at the back entrance, there's no sign. I can say, oh, I didn't know, right? So we get there probably about 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock at night. And we're walking around. I've got uh, a recorder for EVP. So I'm walking around asking questions, doing the EVP recording stuff, taking pictures, stuff like that. It probably wasn't until a couple hours later, my, we didn't really see anything. We, you know, we had feelings, you know, there were like the, it was like spooky feeling and stuff like that. But the first crazy thing that happened was both John and I 
religiously wear ball caps. And, you know, so we both have our ball cap on and we could feel what felt like cobwebs, like on my neck. I felt it on my neck and on my face. And John felt it under his ball cap. This now to give you an idea on what the cemetery is, um, it's not it's not a big cemetery by any means. Union Cemetery, Connecticut. You can look at it on Google Maps. It's, it's very small. Um, maybe, uh, if I had to guess, maybe, I could be wrong, but maybe like 400 feet by 200 feet, maybe. Maybe 500 feet by 300 feet, something like that. It's, it's not very big. There are trees there, not where we were. So there wouldn't be cobwebs just hanging out in the air, you know, like strung from nothing. So we felt this both at the same time. And we were maybe about 30 feet away from each other. So we thought that was cool. And we're walking. So we're walking. We were at the, from the entrance, we were at the left side of the cemetery. So we were cutting across to the right side towards like in the front, uh, maybe like 20 feet from the front of the cemetery. And we're just walking down the cemetery and we are walking towards an area that only had one tombstone. So there was like an area that was clear and there was only one tombstone. I think we were trying to go to that area, but we were both walking in a circle. It was almost like there was, the only way I can explain it is as if there was like a force field there. There was like some sort of energy and we were walking in a circle around this tombstone. It wasn't really a tombstone. It was one of those markers. But yeah, but we were walking in the circle, and it, it was maybe like 30 seconds, and I look at John, and I'm like, hey, are we walking in a circle? Yeah. I th- yeah, I think we are, you know? So it wasn't anything that we were doing on purpose or whatever. It was, it was like a feeling, I think, that we both had. So I straight up said to him, screw it, I'm punching through this, and I'm going to go to that, that marker, because... It was more or less like calling out to me, not literally, but I I kind of felt something coming from it. So it literally felt walked through some sort of energy field and I'm standing right beside the marker. And Nick, this is another example of the whole empath thing. I'm standing at the marker. I shut my eyes. My eyes, I could feel them remming. So by remming, I mean like when you're asleep and like your eyes go back and forth and I could feel my eyes, my eyeballs moving back and forth fast, and I've got tears going down my cheek. I could feel that same sensation I had with the Ouija board, that cold feeling that went straight from head to toe. I don't know what this is. It was so sad. It was such a sad feeling. It was very, very uncomfortable. That was the point where I walked toward my buddy and I was like, we got to go. We got to go home. That feeling I had continued with me after we drove on the, the road. When you look up stories about the, the Union Cemetery, you're going to also see stories about the, the lady in white. You know, there's always a lady in white. You always hear those stories. But this one, it's, it's pretty uh, popular. A lot of people tell these stories um, about them hitting a woman in white, about them seeing a woman in white on the side of the road crying. So here I am thinking, oh, crap, now... Like, I've got this feeling I'm going to drive home and I'm going to see this woman on the road. I, I never saw it, which kind of wish I would have just because I like it so much. I love this. I love this, this stuff so much, but it wouldn't have surprised me. But yeah. So so that was Union Cemetery. Shortly afterwards, we leave Connecticut. There was one more instance. This one's really creepy. Some of the other things I didn't mention 
um, is when we were living in Connecticut in that house where my wife supposedly saw my mom in the mirror and all that. Like in that house, uh, my kids have supposedly seen my mom. My my youngest, he he was too young to remember my mom when she passed away because it was in 2011. He was born in 2008. So he's seen her once. He was two years old when he saw her, uh, but he doesn't really remember her. But he was actually able to describe to us what she looked like. He remembers seeing a figure standing in the corner of his room, stuff like that. Yeah, but one of the last things that happened in Connecticut, I'm living in New Mexico now, but uh, we drove cross country from Connecticut. So in the last night that we were in Connecticut, we were staying at this hotel and I woke up, I don't know what time it was, three o'clock or so, I don't know. But I remember waking up and I thought I saw my daughter standing in front of the bed. And I told her, I was like, Haley, you need to go to bed. And I just went back to sleep. And I asked her about it the next day and she clearly told us that it wasn't her. Now, the, you know, and you know, you can say, okay, well, maybe she was sleepwalking. She didn't know. The thing that really freaked me out about it and made me believe that it wasn't her was the person that I saw standing in front of the bed reminded me of the girl from the ring, you know, with the hair down in front of her face. My daughter had long hair at the time too. So I thought that's, that's why I thought it was her, but my daughter slept with a ponytail and she woke up with a ponytail. So unless it was her and she put it in, you know, she put it back. I keep going back and forth. There is another thing I want to say. Maybe it was sleep paralysis. Maybe it wasn't. I'll let you be the judge. I think I think it might have been, but I'll just tell you anyways. It's, it was pretty creepy. My wife and I were laying in bed, same house. And I remember going to sleep one night. I woke up and two, like I'm a side sleeper and I'm always at the edge of the bed. So I woke up and I saw two two shadow figures that were standing beside the bed. And I couldn't move. I couldn't yell out. I couldn't, nothing, right? So I stared at these figures and it scared the crap out of me. Eventually I ended up going back to sleep. And this happened one more time, but this time I was on my back and the figures were next to the bed. And the figures, well, one of them, the one that was closest to me, it leaned over. It was the strangest thing. It leaned over almost like a 90 degree and it flapped its arms around like it was one of those uh, big balloons that are in front of the, the car dealers. Well, I was like, what the hell is going on here, right? Maybe it's sleep paralysis. I think it was, but it was very, very, very strange. The other thing, since the whole bed thing, this reminded me of it. There were numerous occasions where my wife and I would be laying in bed and the bed would start shaking and the bed would shake. It wasn't a heavy, like it wasn't like exorcist shaking. It was, you could feel the bed vibrating. I guess that's a better word. It was very strange. We lived in a government housing complex. So there were no, like, it wasn't like a factory. It wasn't like, we didn't have anything that was, we didn't have anything that I think could cause that, but it's just very strange. It's just another thing that I can remind my wife about because, you know, she was always like that skeptic type. Yeah. So anyways, we leave Connecticut and we moved to New Mexico and I think that's it. I don't think, I think after being here, we haven't had any I don't recall any experiences after being here, which is kind of sad because, you know, I love if my mom were to visit me, I would love that.
Telepath is a weekly digital newsletter filled with the latest paranormal news, trending topics, and fresh articles from some of the most popular critical thinkers in the community today. Stay informed on your favorite paranormal podcasts and live streaming talk shows. Interact with the telepath and upload your paranormal story or pics. It could be featured in an upcoming edition. Sign up right now for the free telepath newsletter at paranormal.radio. That's paranormal.radio. Do we have time for for one more story? You sure do, Jesse. Awesome. All right. So this is this is a cool one. This again happened while I was living in. Uh, well, no, this happened while I was living in Washington. Um, it was right after my mom passed away, and like I said, it was profusely, it was detrimental to me. Um, and I wanted to explore the supernatural more. I wanted to explore astral projection, out of body experiences, and stuff like that. So I read a lot of books about it, and I was I was practicing it. It was really interesting because at first when you do it, it's like, it's kind of scary. You almost startle yourself out of it. Like the first time it happened, like I could feel my body like vibrating, but I kept practicing it and practicing it. And this one time, I don't know if it was an astral projection. I don't know if it was a dream, but I was underway. I was on my submarine. I was underway and I was... In a room, there was a, a black, black room, and the only thing that was lit up was a – there was like a platform about maybe 20 feet in front of me, and the platform was lit up, only the platform. And my mom was on the platform, and she looked like she was about 30 years old at the time. Uh, when she passed away, she was 50, 53, I think she was, 53 years old. So she was about 20 years younger. I walk up to her, and she gives me this hug. And she hugs me and she says, and like I said, like, you know, she had a horrible, horrible life. And she hugs me and she says, Jesse, I'm no longer in pain. Tell Rich, tell Cindy, Cindy's my sister, tell your family that I am okay. And I'm no longer in pain. And I want you to tell my story. And to me that I felt like, I didn't know what, like what to make of that. Because this would have happened around 2011, 2012, right after she passed away. And I didn't know what to make of that. Does she mean for me to write a book? Because if I wrote a book, I could put some really nasty stuff in there. And then, you know, people might get upset at that. Is that like slander? Like, I don't know all the rules and stuff with that. So I never, I never wanted to, but I am an advocate for, um, for that type of thing, mental health and abuse and stuff like that. So I do share that story in that way. Second time it happened, same thing, black room, platform, light lit up. This time my mom was on the platform and she was crying. And she, I remember she was kneeling down, she was crying, and I gave her a hug, and she was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And that was it. That was all that happened. And I woke up. I pulled into port and found out, it was like a week or two later, I think it was her grandmother or her aunt, somebody on her side of the family that she was very passionate about had passed away. So, and in my research and all of this, I had learned that if something like this happens where a loved one comes to you in a dream and if they're crying, that could be an indication that somebody passes away soon. I don't know, but that, that's how I take it. Pretty much everything that I've experienced, uh, more or less all the important stuff. I definitely, I definitely live life like looking for signs and, but at the same time, I'm also very like, I'm not just like, Oh, a butterfly flew in front of me. It must be my mom. You know, like I'm not, I'm not like that per se. 
But if there are, there was that one story that um, that when you guys had with the with the praying mantis, you know, like that was super interesting with the book, and like that could sure be as no, it was the the screenwriter with the the uh, the screenwriter the the mantis. Like I could definitely see that being a sign from from someone or from something, some entity, right? But yeah, no, I'm always on the lookout, and yeah, that's my story, and uh, and um, I'm happy to be able to share it with you. You did a wonderful job, Jesse. How do you feel? Okay. Yeah, I feel I feel much better. I feel much better now. Um, I feel because I don't talk about this very often, and I feel very enlightened to be able to get it off my chest. You know, be able to share. There could be people out there that have experiences like this too. You know, I just want them to know not to look past it and maybe look into it a little bit and you know see what's there. But would you mind if I gave a little bit of a mental health plug too? No, of course, by all means, Jesse, it's fine. Okay, okay, thank you. So for me, mental health is uh, it's an important issue. Anxiety, depression, stuff like that. My mom suffered really heavily with it based on her life that she had. And um, in 2011, and this isn't something I talk about a whole lot, but in 2011, I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression as well. You know, with all the, like, I've been through some traumas. I've been through some traumas myself. It definitely led to um, suicidal ideations, depression, and stuff like that. And I just want your listeners to know that if anybody has any um, mental health issues, if they have anybody that they want to talk to with anxiety, with depression, or anything at all, they can please feel free to reach out to me um, or anybody. Social media um, is a great platform for, for stuff like this. Um, but yeah, you can you can reach me at um, Eater of Meeples with uh, underscores in between each of those. And um, if you want to talk about anything, um, I am certainly an open ear because you know it's easy to think that nobody is out there to listen, but um, there are people that will listen. So yeah, so something with with the house, which is very strange, is the house that I grew up in. My sister and I, we we dealt with uh, physical abuse, like massive. Uh, physical abuse, mental abuse, um, and I had my shares of um, there. There was other abuse type stuff, but it happened while we were living in that house. And the strange thing is, we all moved out. Right, the house is actually no longer even there. They they tore it down. But the people that were living there, like my sister and I, you know, the experiences that we went through, we we turned those experiences and we turned them into something good. Like we're both parents and we both, you know, raise our kids very, very well. And um, the guy that was there that was partaking in that stuff, um, he is not like that anymore. Uh, he has completely changed. And my, mo- my mom, um, she was going through a lot of stuff when she was in that house, uh, a lot of hell. And um, when she left that house, so I don't know if like any of this paranormal stuff that was happening, like I don't know if it was tied to that stuff or not. I'm not sure, but um, it was just interesting. It's just a, another thing that, you know, maybe it's a part of it. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But. Yeah, I think definitely some houses, you know, they can, they can be very uh, full on energy wise, you know, and, and I think it can sometimes in some situations it influence people's behaviors. I'm not saying that was necessarily the case, but, you know, it is, it's not unheard of. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah, no, I can I can see that for sure. And yeah, and you're right, you know, it may not be the case, you know. Yeah, no, I do I do feel for you cuz I, I kind of grew up in the same 
kind of background as well. So yeah, I know, I know it's um, it's a tough thing. You know, you know, you said you it's, it's possible that you're empathic. You know, when you kind of grow up in a, in a background like this, you you can kind of go either two ways. You can either be like that. You know, you can you can have all the the anger and the, the violence and the aggression and and just hate. You know, or you can go the other way. And the other way just basically turns you into someone which is super sensitive, you know, the kind of the person where um, exactly. people will come to you for advice and help and, and all that kind of thing. And and you yourself, you you kind of feel emotions of people, you know, you can you kind of read people a lot differently than, say, someone else or, or with animals. You know, you just love animals. <laughs> you just you see them for what they are, right. you know, vulnerable and small and fluffy. You right. just, just, right. just see where I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I can definitely understand that for sure. I'm actually like I'm actually turning right now and I've got goosebumps right now because like I, th- I think what you're saying, I think it's completely true. And if there's any takeaway from it, that would be the thing the, the, what you're saying. And I, and I think the the things which, you know, happens in your past, you know, you can say it happens. Things happen for a reason. I think they just things just happen. And but they they kind of build you into the person that you are now. Obviously, you know you you pretty well kept it together. So yes, thank you. And you know you built built a career, you built a family, and you know that's yeah, it's it's all good. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. And likewise with you too, because I'm sure you know you could have you know gone down that dark road too. You know, yeah, very much so. It's important to walk outside. You know, take a deep breath, look at nature, and just release. Let it go. Exactly. Man, this is awesome. Like, like I, I had this story to tell you, and I wanted to tell you, and I wanted your listeners to get some value from it. But I feel like I got so much more from that, you know? So This, this show is important because I don't, I don't really look at it as being entertainment. You know, I look at it as, I know it's a podcast and people listen right. on, on the way to work, all that kind of stuff. Um, but so many people approach the show to share their accounts. And I've probably said this before, but a lot of people listen you know, a lot of like-minded people, a lot of people which are going through certain, maybe certain experiences and traumas and in, in different ends of the spectrum. And so people do listen and people do absorb, you know, and relate. And yeah. quite often, you know, people do will email me, even if they don't come on the show, they still email me to say, you know, I'm really happy I listened to so-and-so and, and all that. So, you know, I'd, again, it, this show works on many different levels. It really does. And I wanted to tell you that too, that, you know, I wanted to thank you for that because um, I love listening and I love just hearing people's accounts and stuff. And it's like, it's like a group therapy session, you know, it's like, <laughs> it is, isn't it's it? like, you know, yeah. And I think a lot of people get like, get good out of it. You know, like people who are afraid to tell their story because of criticism or or what have you so um it lets people get it off their chest and i think it's very very uh valuable so uh yeah i just i I thank you for for your time and i thank you for uh for making that that um available for everyone it's the guests that make the show you know it's people's accounts it's people's experiences you know um i just basically just sit here and do some editing you know but but i get you know i get a lot of satisfaction because i enjoy hearing people's accounts stories and and because then i get to know people as well um or li- sure. literally all over the world you know and connecting so it's you know, you know I, I do benefit so yeah that's excellent jess well you know it's um that house you used to live in that was uh were, were you scared living in that house i was scared at first 
And then it, um, I guess I, I just got used to it. It's actually kind of funny because we would, uh, my mom was a jokester and uh, all of my friends knew about um, Ida, right? Cause we named her Ida. All of my friends knew about her and all the things that we've seen. So my mom would, uh, when my friends were over at her house, they would, uh, you know, be in my room or be in my sister's room or whatever. My mom would take a hockey stick and right in the bathroom, she would pop, pop, pop. She would hit the ceiling with the hockey stick. And the ceiling that she was hitting, remember the room I told you about um, in between the two bedrooms? Mm. Uh, the noise would be inside of that room, which obviously there was nobody in there. And it would freak my friends out. We had one guy who uh, he was crying and he ran out of the house. He went into the parking lot across the street and he's like, I'm waiting for my mom. She's going to come and pick me up. I'm not going back in that house. Um, so it was it was a little scary being in the house. But as as I got older and as I knew that those experiences were there, um, I really just embraced it. Um, like when I saw that shadow on the ground and I got up real fast and nobody was there, I was kind of like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> so it wasn't going to hurt me at all. And when you saw the apparition, could you make any details? It was a lady, wasn't it? Yes, yes. It was uh, It was a very clear image of a woman. Um, she had long, dark hair. The image was actually like a black and white image that I saw. So I couldn't make out the color of the hair, but I would assume it's brown just because um, just like when you watch a black and white movie and you see somebody with dark hair, you can tell it's brown or black. But yeah, I was able to tell that she was wearing a dress that was a old style, like Little House on the Prairie. If you've ever watched that show, old kind of outfit like that at colonial times. Um, and yeah, I can tell she was a woman. She was probably a few inches shorter than the doorway. So probably 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, and she took up um, the entirety of, of the doorway. So she was standing in the doorway with her arms down and her arms basically, she had wide shoulders, I guess, and her body pretty much filled up the doorway. Yeah. And it was a white, it was a white dress too. It was like a, like a white dress. And your sister, you know, did she also experience quite a few things there as well? She did. Uh, she did see that, um, the same apparition when she was probably around three or four and, uh, she, she had heard the the music playing by itself as much as I did. Um, I think she she did hear like the footsteps and stuff like that. Yeah, I got the brunt of that. Like I don't think she saw any shadows, nothing like that. But she definitely knew that something was there. Yeah. I mean, Euthanasia by Megadeth. I mean, that's a good album. Yeah. Oh, it's a fantastic <laughs> album. <laughs> I, I I did have that one. <laughs> good stuff. Oh gosh. Metal's in the, it's in the soul. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Okay, Jesse, that's wonderful. Jesse, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that for our listeners. Oh, of course. Of course. Thank you for having me on and thank you for everything that you do. I really appreciate it. No worries. Keep in contact. All right. And uh, oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. All right, Jesse. Great. It's been great meeting you and talking to you. All right. All right. It's nice to meet you. You take care now. Yeah, you take care, brother. Okay, thanks. Bye. That is all for this week. Keep updated and connected with the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And like Jesse mentioned, if anyone would like to reach out to Jesse, all his contact details are in the show notes below or on the website. And if you have an encounter that you'd like to share on the podcast, you can email me at ufochronicles at gmail.com or reach out to me via the contact page on my website at ufochroniclespodcast.com. A big thank you to Jesse for sharing tonight and thank you all for listening. I will be back next week. Till then, stay safe. 
and keep watching the skies. Goodbye. Goodbye.